0: Good morning, Three Rivers. Good morning. Happy Easter to you. I'm very glad that you are here today. And uh, and uh, if you would, pray with me, and then we're going to get after uh, the resurrection, okay? Father, we thank you today for the glorious, glorious resurrection of King Jesus. And for that, we give thanks. We thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We thank you that you are trustworthy and your word is trustworthy and you are true and your witness is true. And we have, because of that, great hope that we too, we too will be raised in Christ. And so we pray that you would rise our hope today, that you would build our faith, that you would birth faith. You would do all of these things, Holy Spirit, that Jesus said you would do. So we trust you to do them now and we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this story of God... Uh, This story of God that climaxes in the resurrection is absolutely key for us. As a matter of fact, next Sunday we're going to launch into a 16-week series called 16 Verses in which we study this storyline of the entire Bible that climaxes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and is resolved in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, there's a little book we have for you in the back. Um, if you're an Our Life group leader, you get one of those for free. Uh, if if you're a three-vers, uh, a tender member, whoever you happen to be here, would love for you to have one. They're only five bucks. We paid $10.99 for and We're not making any money. You know, if you get something for free, take it for granted and don't use it. But if you invest a little bit, like, I paid for that, I'm going to read it. I don't like it, but I'm going to read it. I paid for it. So, little investment, and in, uh, you don't have to, but if you want to, we have them available for you there in the back. You can see me, and I'll, I'll set you up with that. But that series highlights what we highlight today, and that is that what we read from Genesis to Revelation climaxes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Today's a very special day. Uh, My friend, one of my friends in Texas uh, sent me a little message, his four year old daughter, Brooklyn, said today and uh, Brooklyn was answering the question from her dad, why is Easter Sunday so important? She said, because Jesus undied himself. (laughs) And I say, "Amen." we celebrate today because Jesus undied himself and because in Christ we can also be undied. Because outside of Christ, because of the fall, because of the curse, we find ourselves dead in sin. And sin has killed us. It's killed our relationship with God. It's killed and broken our relationship with created order. It kills and destroys our relationships with each other. And in Christ, all of that can be restored. He undied himself, and we too can be undied in Christ. And so, Brooklyn, you've been quoted. John 20 and 21 we're going to look at them today. But before we do, I want to back you up to John 14, verse 21 to 23. Jesus says to his disciples in this last time with them before his arrest, He says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. In this passage, Jesus has made an absolutely spectacularly glorious promise. But Jesus has been crucified, we learned last week. And so what about this promise? In John 18, Peter has failed at the most vital point of his discipleship. So what does his future look like? Can Peter be restored? If Jesus is just dead, then he was nothing more than a miracle-working prophet empowered by God for a time at best. At worst, if Jesus is just dead. He was a liar. Because that's not what he said about himself. Those are not the words he spoke. He was a deceiver. And Peter is left to wallow in the curse and the consequences of his massive failure. But what does John's testimony tell us? What does John the evangelist say to us? Last week we did a survey of John chapter 1 through John chapter 19. And that helped us to see John's stated purpose in writing the Gospel of John. John states that his purpose in John chapter 20 verse 30 and 31 is this. Here's his purpose. This is why he wrote the whole book. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these chapters 1 through 21 are written... So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. So what's John's stated purpose? He wants to unveil the glories of the Son of God. So that you may believe. And that by believing, have life. Because apart from Christ, we are dead. Apart from Jesus, there is no life in us. Apart from us repenting and believing and trusting in Christ and having the Holy Spirit given to us as a deposit and a seal and transforming agent, we are dead in sin. But John wants you to know how all of that comes about, and that is through Jesus. So if we believe in Him, we turn from the rebellion and follow Christ. He gives us His Spirit. He makes us His children. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God. We have life. John said, that's why I write so what does John's testimony tell us that brings his purpose for writing home? Because when we left last week, Jesus is dead. Peter has failed. So what is John going to share with us that brings his purpose for riding home? He's going to tell us something very important. Jesus is not dead. He is undead. He is alive. John's witness is that Jesus isn't dead. A little quote here for you from an old school dead guy you can see the quote when I post the notes for you the empty cross and the empty tomb are God's receipts telling us that the debt has been paid the empty cross and the empty tomb are God's receipts that tells us our debt has been paid. So what do we see in John chapter 20 and John chapter 21? What does it mean? And what are some ways we can obey that and bring that home? Number one, in John chapter 20, verse 1 to 10, we see the witness of John and Peter. John chapter 20, verse 1 to 10, we see the witness of John and Peter. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I love how John refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. He he does that all through the book, the one that Jesus loved. And if I'm writing the book, I'm going to do the same thing, right? So John, the one who Jesus loved, because he identifies himself later as that one. And so she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. I laughed all week at this. And I know it's maybe not funny to you, but he's writing the story, right? And not only is the one that Jesus loved, but he's faster than Peter. (laughs) He got to the tomb first. And he's going to rub it in a little further here in a minute. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came. I got there first. It took him a while, but he got there too. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, once again, I beat you, Peter. Isn't it bad enough that Peter's denied the Lord and now John's telling me, slow? Who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and what? Believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So John shows us to bring his purpose home that you may believe and receive life that Jesus is not dead but he's alive and he shares with us the witness of Peter and John. Now, when John wrote this account, he used three different words here to describe his seeing. And he did this intentionally. In John chapter 20, verse 5, the word simply means to glance in and to look in. So he, he took a look. And in John chapter 20, verse 6, the word means to look carefully, to observe. So he glanced, he looked in, and then he looked with greater detail. He's observing, he's taking notes. In his mind. And then in John chapter 20 verse 8. The word saw. Is a different word that has the connotation of perceiving. It went from observation. To taking mental notes. To understanding. To intelligent comprehension. What was happening is their resurrection faith was dawning. As a matter of fact it says here. In verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, this is comprehending, he's making sense of it, it's dawning, faith is beginning to birth, and believed. His seeing, his observing... His beginning to take note, and then His comprehension led to faith, and that faith led to His transformation. These disciples get to the tomb, and they apply their reason to the situation at hand, and John records in verse 8 that he believed as a result of that. Jesus is risen. He is alive. He is undead. And by the witness of God's Word, we can see, we can take note, And we can begin to perceive and understand with intelligent comprehension that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. The witness is clear. And then we get the witness of Mary Magdalene in chapter 20, verse 11 to 18. Now, this is the Mary who went to the tomb earlier, right? And she runs back and she tells them what's going on. and, And listen to what happens. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to God, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that she had said these things, or he had said these things to her. Mary's frantic search for Jesus likely leads her to recognize these heavenly visitors who are there, or I'm sorry, not recognize these heavenly visitors, because she looks in and she sees these angels. They're clearly stated that they're sitting there. And she, in her frantic search for the Lord, is not recognizing that these angels are sitting there speaking to her. And that likely leads her to not pay much attention to Jesus, who she thinks is the gardener. Mary's looking for a corpse. The problem is, in this frantic search for a corpse, she's not paying much attention to the live people standing around. It could very well be that Jesus has hidden himself or kept himself from being recognized like he did in Luke chapter 24 with the two disciples on the road to the little town of Emmaus when he walked with them and asked them probing questions until they ate the supper together and he opened their eyes that they could believe and see that it was him. But either way, Mary's not recognizing whether it's the frantic search or the fact that Jesus could be hiding his identity from her until an opportune moment. Whichever one it is, whenever Jesus calls her name, she hears... And she knows at that moment. Jesus calling Mary's name and her recognition that it's Jesus likely has to be the most relieving sigh of relief ever. You ever lost your keys and went searching frantically for them only to discover an hour later they were in your hand? Or you were swinging them around your finger as you were looking? Even laid them down as you picked up boxes or other things to look inside them. This frantic search only to realize they were right there all along. That's very similar to what's happening with Mary. This frantic search and the whole time there are angels there saying he's not here. Yeah, whatever, wherever, where did he go? Tell me I'll go pick him up. She's looking for a corpse, but there is no corpse because he's standing there. In her frantic search, she thinks Jesus is the gardener. And when he calls her name, can you imagine the relief? Mary. And instantly, Mary's grief, her frantic search goes away. And just like the frantic search for your keys brings relief when you find them, maybe times a hundred here, Mary's frantic search turns to faith. You remember that moment when the Lord Jesus called you by name and brought you into the kingdom? If you're in Christ, you hopefully have some remembrance of that moment when Jesus called you by name. And that calling by name might not have been an audible whisper of your name, but it was that moment like John when your seeing turned to understanding. And all of a sudden, what you were blind to was now sight. And it was this glorious relief, this glorious encounter in which the resurrected Jesus met you in that moment, took away the blinders and brought life to you. Do you remember that moment? He brought you from death to life. He brought you from blindness to sight. The Lord has just called Mary by name and she has witnessed his resurrection and she will never be the same. And only the resurrected King Jesus can do that. You know what Jesus said? You remember back in John 10 last week when we were doing the quick summary, the quick survey of John 1 to 19? Jesus talked about in John 10, I know my sheep and when I call them, they know my voice and they will respond to me. Mary belonged to Jesus and when he called her name, she understood his voice. She knew she was brought to life and she would never be the same. Jesus will effectively whisper the name of those that have been given to Him by the Father. And when the gospel enters those ears at the right time, Jesus will whisper, they will understand and know if faith will be birthed. That happened for Mary here. Mary sees, she understands. And boom, Mary is now a for real follower of Jesus. And then John leaves us another witness here. And this is the witness of the disciples minus Thomas. When I say disciples, keep in mind not just the 12 who would like become apostles, sent ones, but, but the whole number that acts numbers to be around 120 people. Jesus reveals himself to them minus Thomas. And we see that in John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. I wish John, because this is a really, really cool thing that happens here. With these disciples and then with Thomas later. Um, because I wish John would have recorded who fell off their seat. Because chances are you've never seen anything like this. Maybe if you've traveled globally and you've done some, some great commission work in a, in, a, in a global context. You've seen some pretty cool supernatural things. But Jesus does some pretty cool stuff here and I'd love to know who fell over. Because this is astounding. On the evening of that day, verse 19, the first day of the week, the doors being locked... Where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Yeah, right? They killed him. They might kill me too. Lock the doors. Right? Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Chances are Jesus had to say, Peace be with you? For two reasons. Number one, he just came into a locked room somehow. John doesn't tell us how. He just came into a locked room. And then secondly, because they're probably nervous about getting crucified too. And so, Jesus comes and he stands in the midst and says, Peace be to you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. That's kind of important because those wounds, right, led to his death. So he shows them, it's me. You remember that? Remember when they did that? Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And they said, and he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Oh, I wish John had given us a little more of a running commentary. Who fell off what stool? Who fell backward? Who fainted? I'm fainting. If somebody walk up in the locked room I wasn't there before... Jesus does something, though, quite different with the disciples than he did with Mary. Jesus gives these guys a mission to do and a mission to guard. He sends them. He reveals himself to them. He tells them to relax. Peace be with you. And then he says to them, as the Father sent me, I I was sent by the Father. So likewise, I am sending you. And then he said to them... Right here, particularly verse 22. The way by which they would be empowered to be sent effectively was they were going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't Him giving them the Holy Spirit. This is Him letting them know how that's going to happen. Acts records for us how that happens. When Jesus ascends to the Father, He sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they receive the empowering Spirit that Jesus promised them in John 14, 15, and 16. And then they are empowered to obey Jesus' command to go. So Jesus appears to the disciples here a little differently than he did to Mary as an individual by giving them a mission and telling them how they would be empowered. I want to be very careful here and not spend a ton of time in verse 23. He says to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, you guys know me, know I have a master's degree in partly biblical languages, and so I like languages. I'm a little bit of a language snob. And it's kind of important here that I hit this. There's a footnote. When I post a note, you can read my footnote because I like footnotes. Footnotes are beautiful because you can write things and not get bogged down in the narrative and put your bogged down stuff in footnotes, and people don't have to read them if they want to. But if you're really a nerd, you read the footnotes, right? And so this is nerdy stuff, but it's kind of important. When Jesus says to them here, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. The ESV, which we typically use here, and the NIV, give the sense of a future tense to that. And, and as a translation guy, I, I'm not a fan. It, it, it's, it's grammatically, sorry, I've got to be nerdy for a second, but it's a perfect passive indicative. And if you like grammar, you like, that's awesome, that's good stuff. And if you like, like I, he, I think he just spoke a different language. I'm not even sure what he said. Here, um, Jesus uses the perfect... Tense, in the passive voice, right? Basically, if I were translating this raw, and one of the reasons the ESV and NIV don't translate it rawly is because it's kind of wooden and funky to read. But I would translate it like this. If you have forgiven the sins of any, they have already been forgiven. That's the sense of the perfect. In other words, what Jesus is saying to them here is not that you have the power to forgive sins, They don't. Only Jesus does. What Jesus is saying here is, when you proclaim forgiveness, it's because forgiveness has already been proclaimed. In other words, when you preach the gospel, it is the good news that God pardons sinners. He's already been clear about what that is. He's just saying it a different way. You forgive the sins of any, it's because they've already been forgiven. When you're able to practice the gospel by forgiving sins, when people do negative things to you because they're going to cast some of you out of the synagogue, some of you they're going to kill. He's going to say to Peter in a little bit, you're going to be led to a place you don't want to be led to. Somebody's going to have to dress you and they're going to treat you the way they treated me, Peter. So when that day comes and you pardon them, you forgive them, it's because I forgave you, Peter. That's what Jesus is saying to them here. When you forgive, it's because forgiveness has already been purchased on the cross, and I am undead. Therefore, when you forgive, it's because God has given you the ability to forgive. I have given that to you as a precious gift. And then we see the witness of Thomas here in verse 24 through 29. Now, Thomas, remember, Thomas wasn't with the disciples as they were gathered there. We see here in verse twenty nine or 24 to 29 that Jesus comes specifically for Thomas. I'm going to make a point about that of a observation at the end that I think is pretty important for us. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So they're testifying, they're witnessing to Thomas. Hey, he's alive, Thomas. He's alive. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, this is John. John just skips out on some details. Gosh, I wish you'd have given some more details. How did this happen? The doors are locked. And although they were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Again, peace be with you. Why? Because you just showed up again. And who fell off what stool? Of course, that's not John's purpose. His purpose is that you may believe and have life. So he's not interested in giving me details. It would be funny. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, He said to Thomas, He singled Thomas out. And this is glorious. This is good news. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe Jesus knew what Thomas needed and he provided it. Thomas answered him. I love Thomas' response. I think this is where Thomas gets saved. Thomas becomes a real follower of Jesus right here. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love that the Lord had personal interest in meeting Thomas where he was. If you'll be honest with your story, if you're in Christ, Jesus met you where you were. He knew what you needed. He sent you the gospel through the right vessel at just the right time to meet you right where you were. You've got to remember, it's not that Thomas lacks courage. Thomas was very courageous. He's the one that said in John chapter 11, verse 6, he was ready to go die with Jesus. We learn that Thomas is spiritually minded. He's spiritually inquisitive. In John 14, 5, he was the one that was willing to ask the question everybody wanted to know the answer to. How do we get to where you're going, Jesus? You just said you're leaving. So how do we get there? Thomas seems to have some intellectual barriers that keep him from believing the continual testimony of the group. The group keeps telling him, Thomas, he's alive! Unless well, I see it, I'm not going to believe. We often know Thomas is doubting Thomas, right? However, Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas for his doubting. Notice that? Jesus doesn't rebuke him for doubting. Thomas's problem is that he just simply doesn't believe. But Jesus being good... Jesus being kind and knowing Thomas, because after all, Jesus knit Thomas together, right? He knows Thomas. He knows where Thomas is at. Jesus overcomes his unbelief. And Thomas replies with Jesus' glorious gift of faith, my Lord and my God. And if we'll all be honest, we were all in Thomas's boat at some point. But Jesus overcame our unbelief. And then we'll see the witness of John to Peter's restoration. Remember, I asked a couple of questions. What what does John tell us here to, to bring the story to completion? And what about Peter who failed at the most worst way possible in his discipleship? None of you in this room have failed like Peter did. You know, chances are you haven't been put in that situation. To deny the Lord that many times... What about Peter? Chapter 21 tells us about the restoration of Peter. In John chapter 21, we read again, Jesus revealed himself, or after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together, and Simon Peter said to them, "I am going fishing." I love Peter, I want fishing, boys? They said to him, "We will go with you, good friends." And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. As his day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, "Children, do you have any fish?" They answered him, "No." My fishing expedition. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You anybody remember Jesus doing that before to them? This isn't the first time Jesus has given them instruction on fishing. After all, he made the fish. He knows their habits. He knows where they are. Cast it on the other side. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And here goes John again, digging Peter. The disciple whom Jesus loved... Therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! I love Simon's response. Look at Peter's response. When he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. He can't wait for the boat to get back. He just jumps in and swims to the shore to see Jesus. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Here's a little side note here. They're out fishing, and Jesus already got breakfast made for them. So many times, if you follow Jesus, we go and we labor for things Jesus told us to trust Him for. And when we get to the end of ourselves, Jesus says, come eat on me. And He had it already there, because we just don't trust Him yet. So they're fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing. Fishing's good. And Jesus says, "I'm going to help you fish. I'm going, to, I'm going to put some fish in your net." And he does what he did for them before. And they drag it up on shore, and they get there and realize Jesus already has breakfast. But he does invite them. Bring some of your fish to us. So I will cook that too. It's okay. Good work. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn because Jesus. Made the net not tear. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? (laughs) I wouldn't either. they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, this is huge, listen to this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Grew his ministry. Don't even have one yet. Lambs to sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. Why would that grieve Peter? Because the third time he was asked, he denied him. And Jesus asked him three times. Jesus sometimes does surgery that hurts, but it's healing. He asked him the third time, and Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I'm probably asking that question too. I I don't often want to hear Jesus say hard things. But what about him? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among those the brothers, that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but that if it's my will that he remain till I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Once again, Jesus reveals himself to the disciples and he meets their needs as Lord and God. There's no doubt that Peter believes. Peter just needs to experience Jesus' restoration firsthand. And Jesus does that by providing breakfast, some probing questions, and a growing ministry and a challenge about how all would end to the glory of Jesus. And the end for Peter, the issue for him is the issue for all of us. And it's this, Peter, not him, not her, not him. You follow me. So some concluding observations. One, Jesus meets each one of us as we need to be met. Jesus meets each one of us as we need to be met. Peter and John are shown the resurrected Jesus in one way. Mary is shown in another way. The whole group... Gets a command to obey from the resurrected Christ. Thomas gets to feel the Lord's wounds. Peter gets a prophetic word about his ministry and a look at what's going to come that won't deter his faith in Jesus. Listen, Jesus will give you just what you need to be brought into the kingdom. And if you're not in Christ, He will provide for you the moment repentance and faith if you're in christ he will provide for you at just the right moment jesus never fails number two the good news of jesus and his kingdom is powerful to rescue men women boys and girls from the curse of sin john told us his purpose you may believe and have life because you're dead apart from christ you're dead and so i want you to hear And know and understand so that life may be brought to you. Your soul may be awakened from a dead state to a live state. That through repentance and faith in Jesus you may believe. And so this good news of God's kingdom and its King Jesus... It's powerful to rescue us from sin. So if you're in Christ, give Him glory today because you're in Him because He took you from death to life. He took you from blindness to sight. He gave you all these glorious things and His worship is our due. If you're not in Christ, I invite you to repent of the rebellion and believe on Jesus and He too will give life to you. Third, Jesus can restore from the deepest of offenses. No perfect people in this room. If you're in Christ, it's not because you're better... It's not because you did something better or you have better faith. Your faith is not your own. It's been bought with the perfect price of Jesus. Ephesians 2 tells us that He gives it to you that you may practice it, exercise it. So there's nobody in this room perfect. Nobody in here is believed because you're better, smarter, or more intellectual. No perfect vessels in this room. As a matter of fact, regardless of what we've done our offense at the root is the same, and that is we have disowned and rebelled against the God of the universe. And so we don't look at Peter and throw rocks at him because he denied the Lord. Because reality is, we came out of the womb denying the Lord. But what we see here is that Jesus restores even the deepest offenses because he's God and he's able. So whatever you walked in this room with today, you need to understand that Jesus can fix that. Not for the sake of fixing it, but for the sake of rescuing you from the consequences of it and showing you He is God and there is no other, and He is King, Lord, and Ruler of the universe. And He can restore from the deepest of offenses. If you're in Christ and you've greatly sinned against God, there's restoration for that because Jesus purchased that in His undying. Everything we've done, He's able to turn it for good. Jesus can restore from the deepest offenses. And fourth and finally, hear Jesus calling today and follow Him either from death to life or from life to greater life. That's in Him through repentance for unbelief in God's promises. Whether it be bitterness, unbelief, not forgiving as Jesus required, not loving your enemy. Come to Him today for forgiveness of sin or for restoration from not obeying Him. But Jesus' life gives life to us. I would like for you to turn your attention to a a video I want you to see that's going to really tie together today the apex of the story. And it's going to set us on a track to next week to see this story from the whole Bible. And so I'm going to pray and watch the video and then we're going to worship together. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that You will take the Word of truth, the Gospel, the good news of Your Kingdom we pray that You would work it to life. God, I pray that... John 20 and 21 would be powerful and effective. And the Holy Spirit, You would make it powerful and effective. Lord, I pray that You would take the words that are about to be spoken on the screen and You would make them powerful and effective and bring life and understanding for us who follow Jesus to know You better, know You more from the fullness of Scripture. our love for you would increase, our love for each other would increase, our love for your mission, our love for the nations, our love for people would increase. We pray this in Jesus' name.